right. Today we're going to be looking, the song that the lady sang goes so perfectly with what I'm preaching today, and that wasn't kind of a pre-planned thing, that was a spirit-led thing. And uh, we're going to be looking at Matthew chapter 1, verse 23. It says, Behold, a virgin shall be with child, and shall bring forth a son, and they shall call his name Emmanuel, which being interpreted is God with us, which is exactly what the gals just got done singing. God is with us. He's drawn near to us. You know, in a recent poll, a thousand participants were asked this question. If you had the opportunity to speak with any famous historical person for 15 minutes, who would you choose? Do you know that 75% of those thousand people said they would choose Jesus Christ? They would want to speak to Jesus. There is a reason for that, I think. I think that human beings, our human heart longs to hear from God. We would love to hear God speaking to us. A few years back, several national media personalities were asked virtually the same question. The question was, if you could sit down and talk with anyone from history, who would, who would it be? And you just think about anyone from history, who would you choose to talk to? Exactly the same result. 75% of these, they're supposed to be very secular type people, you know, the secular media. But 75% of them said they wanted to talk with Jesus Christ. Now, I don't suppose that that should come as, as any kind of a surprise to us. Who wouldn't want to talk to God face to face? It seems to me, just think about it, as a race of people, we have been trying to do that for a very long time. We've been trying to talk to God. We've been trying to communicate with God. We've been trying to connect with God. Most people have. We've looked for God in the stars. You know, maybe God will speak through us through the horoscope or something. We look for him in creation. Some people look, at, look for him through idols that have been fashioned through man-made philosophies. And we've even looked for him through religious systems. And I will just tell you, you'll not find God in any of those, in none of those. But in a thousand different ways, we have been trying to find God. We have been searching for God. One of the amazing statements from that poll that I read to you later was, or earlier rather, was that although most of those polled felt far from God personally, they would still love to be able to tell God their problems. And they believed that if they, if they did, he would understand them and he would do something about it. Well, no wonder people are searching for God. If they believe that God would listen to them, if they believe that God would do something about their issues, of course they're wanting to talk to God. They're, they're wanting to connect. They haven't been able to figure out how to do that yet. But they, they want to somehow connect with God. But here's the surprising truth. God is wanting to connect with them. God is searching for them. We think that we're searching for God. Have you ever had somebody tell you that they found God or they found Jesus? Do you know that you don't find Jesus? Jesus found you. Jesus is looking for you. Jesus is the one who's doing the searching. So God is searching for you. He's searching for, he's searching for all of us. Christmas, and I don't know if you ever thought about this before, but Christmas is God saying, I want to be found. I'm available. 
John's gospel says, John 1, 14, and the word, that, that, that is a word for, for just why it's capitalized. It, it means Jesus. And the word was made flesh. Jesus became flesh and dwelt among us. And we beheld his glory, the glory as of the only begotten of the Father, full of grace and truth. What you're seeing in the person of Jesus is God. You can't get to me, God says, so I will come to you. Your sin has separated you from me, so I will bridge the gap and I'll come to you. Wow, that is the message of Christmas. Never get so accustomed to it that you lose the wonder and the joy of what Christmas is. God saying, I'm coming to get you because you couldn't get to me. I love how the Living Bible puts that verse. And Christ became a human being and lived here on earth among us and was full of loving forgiveness and truth. And some of us have seen his glory, the glory of the only son of the heavenly father. And that is still true today that some see the glory and others don't because they, they don't open their hearts to it. But if you open your heart to this amazing truth of who the baby is, you will see the glory of God in the Son, Jesus Christ, full of grace and truth. Isaiah prophesied in Isaiah 7, Behold, a virgin shall conceive and bear a son and shall call his name Emmanuel. You say, what does that have to do with anything? The newer translations translate that verse of the Bible, the word Emmanuel, giving us the translation, telling us it means God with us. That's why it's important. That's, why, that's what the verse is saying. It's not just another baby born amongst millions born. It is the son of, it is God himself becoming flesh so that we can reach out and touch him. It's the one person that those who were polled wanted to meet more than anyone else. Jesus, who is God with us. His name means that God is here. God is approachable. You know, some of you thought that the ceiling would cave in if you walked into a church. And you took a chance. Maybe you wore a hard hat on the way in, just in case. But it didn't cave in. Why? Because God is approachable. God is reachable. God is touchable. I want us to look at those three little words. This is a simple little sermon today. I want us to look at the three little words that are, are translated from that name Emmanuel because I believe through each of those little words, God wants to speak a dynamic, life-changing truth to you. The first word is the obvious word, God. God with us, God. The name given to the baby born in the manger was the name of God, God himself. You know, there have been times in my life that I have been around other people and, and their being with me has meant the world to me. I've, I've gone through a crisis. I've gone through a situation where having the love of other people has meant so much to me. Having the love of a wife, having the love of children and grandchildren, having the love of a pastoral staff, having the love of a church family, walking me through the situation has meant the world to me. As I thought about that, I remembered a situation several years ago, probably 30 years ago now, where I found myself stuck in a blizzard while hunting in the high Uintas in eastern Utah. Daylight's fading, the night's coming in, 
our vehicle is stuck in the snow, our truck, and we're almost out of gas. It's taken nearly all of our gas to get to that point, and there's almost no gas left. It was a very serious situation. The blizzard was howling. The winds were blowing. The temperatures were dropping. It was turning night. Now, I have to tell you that what made it a little more tolerable was the fact that I wasn't alone. There were eight other men that were with me that night. And these eight men, I thought, probably knew more about how to get out of a situation like that than I did, and so I took a lot of comfort in that. Later, I found out that they didn't know any more about getting out of that situation than I knew. But you know, we were all Christian men, and so we committed to God what we couldn't change. And we sought God. And I know that the scriptures talk about the, the, the dividing of the loaves and the fishes and, and how Jesus prayed over the loaves and fishes, you know, when he fed the 5,000 and, 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 and a few loaves and a few fish fed all the thousands of people as, as they were divided and as, as Christ multiplied the, the provision. And as we prayed that night and we looked at less than an eighth of a tank of gas, and, and I know that the scripture doesn't say anything about Jesus multiplying gasoline. And the gas gauge never moved, but it never went down either. It was like exactly what we needed. And we continued to work our way and fight our way. And our God, I'm convinced to this day, saved eight foolish men who went on the top of a hill a hillside thinking they could hunt in a blizzard and, and, and saved us from our own stupidity. Sometimes being with other people brings great comfort into our lives. It certainly did to me that night. I, I was so grateful that I wasn't there by myself. I had eight other brothers who were praying and believing men and we sought God and he worked the miracle out. But there have been also times in my life when it, when it didn't matter how many others were around me. It didn't matter how many friends, it didn't matter how many loved me. I had to deal with that battle alone. I'd have to deal with it on my own without the help of friends. There was nothing they could do. In those times, I needed God. I needed God. I'm here to tell you, if you haven't learned it yet, that there will be times in your life that you will face that only God will be able to help. Only God will be able to heal. No one else will be able to step in. It'll be beyond human hope or help. But not, not so with God. He is the God of the impossible. You know, some in our secular America today discount the need for the help of God. They even, they even mock it. I noticed that the New York Daily News last week in commenting on the, the, on the GOP presidential candidates offering prayers about the shootings, you know, that took place in, in California and in San Bernardino. They, they ran their headliner the next day this way. God isn't fixing this. Are, there, are they saying that God can't help? Are they saying that God won't help? I don't know the intent of their heart, but if you were to read the lower portion of that, I don't know if you can see it or not, you would come away with the impression that it is their idea that all of this is foolishness, that what we have to do is create new laws. That's the only thing that will help America. 
I'm not commenting one way or the other about that idea. What I'm saying is the only thing that will help America is not new laws out of Washington. It's the Lord God Almighty and it's our God coming to our rescue and us as people seeking his face. And that's what Christmas is telling you and me. It's telling us that God is available. God will be with us. Not some philosophy of life. I don't need another philosophy. Not some dead religion. We got dead religions coming out of our ears. We don't need them. But God himself in the person of Jesus Christ, he is God walking with us. He is God living in us. He is God offering himself for your life, to your life, to be to you what you need him to be. And not just when we hit a crisis. That's the problem with too many people. God, we only see God when we hit a crisis. God wants to be with us far more than just in a crisis. Jesus wants to be the center of our heart, the center of our lives. He wants to be with us in relationship and fellowship. Do you know that God in Jesus Christ, through the power of the Spirit, wants to be your closest friend? That's an amazing thought. Next time somebody asks you, who's your closest friend, you ought to say, Jesus. He wants to be your closest friend. He wants to be a part of every decision you make. You mean I should ask God his opinion? Yeah. But the car looks so pretty. Obviously, I should buy it. Not necessarily. God knows the end from the beginning. And he knows whether you should buy that or not. He knows whether you should move here or there. He knows what job you should take. He knows what education you should get. Jesus wants to be a part of every decision you make, every conversation you have, every day of your life. Jesus wants to bring God into the picture of your life and be your best friend. And that's what Emmanuel means. God, the Almighty, the Creator, a part of your life. Part of my life, really? Yeah, a part of your life. And his invitation is so simple. It's recorded in Matthew eleven twenty eight. Come to me, all of you who are weary and carry heavy burdens, and I will give you rest. That's God inviting you to fellowship with him. All you have to do is accept the invitation. The second word, the word with, God with. You know, many people believe in a God who is way out there somewhere in the cosmos. Yeah, I believe in God. Well, I was listening to a radio talk show host out of the Denver area when we pastored in the Colorado Front Range and, and he, he was talking about, yeah, I believe in God, but I don't believe in a personal God. That's so sad because he's keeping God way out there in his life. That's where you can keep him if you want him. If you want him out there, that's where he'll stay. He won't bother you if you don't want him to. Unless you have a Christian mother or father or brother or sister or child who's praying over you, and then it doesn't matter what you want. God will come into your life. He'll come to your life. He'll, he'll challenge your life. But some people, they just see God as person, impersonal, distant, uninvolved, removed. 
I don't know this to be true because I'm not an expert on Islam, but I have been told by missionaries who are that there is no concept of a personal God in Islam. There, there is absolutely no concept by Muslims of a God who knows them and who loves them personally. But the name that the Virgin would give to her son tells us a different story about the true God, a God who isn't distant, who isn't far removed or impersonal, but a God who is with us, with us, a companion, a friend, a mighty God whose power is only dwarfed by the magnitude of his love towards those who seek him. Jesus said in Matthew 28, 20, be sure of this, I am with you. I'm not just looking down on you. I'm not just a little aware. I've had people tell me, oh, I don't want to bother God with all my problems. He's got so many other problems to worry about. Like he's overwhelmed or something. What a small God you have. The reality is God can be totally focused on you while being totally focused on me too. You say, how can that be? Well, women can do that. I have noticed that through the years. Maybe God's a woman, I don't know. But I have known that, noticed that women can do two or three things at the same time. Not me, you know. I focus on one thing, hear one conversation, and that's it. But he's God and I'm not. And that's why he can hear you and focus on you totally and completely and give you his total attention while he's giving somebody else's total attention too. In fact, he's giving millions and billions of people on the planet his total attention. Hebrews 13, 5 tells us that God has said, never will I leave you, never will I forsake you. He never quits caring, never quits loving, never quits training us for eternity, never quits being with us, even when we fail him. If Jesus is your personal savior, you won't face life alone in this world. You're not lost in your sins. His name is Emmanuel, God with, 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 with us. He'll, he'll be as close to you as you allow him to be, or he'll be as distant from you as you force him to be. Because the degree of his withness in your life and my life is up to you and me. A few years ago, uh, a couple within our network of, of ministry pastors here were, were both diagnosed as husband and wife with terminal cancer. They got the news within two weeks of each other. I can't even imagine that. I have, through the years, had to walk with friends whose wives have died of cancer or walk with pastors' wives whose husbands have contracted cancer and died. I have never in my life had to deal with a family that both at the same time virtually got the diagnosis of terminal cancer. It was unbelievable. It sent shockwaves across our fellowship of, of pastors. Because of the severity of their condition, they had to resign their church that they were, that they were leading at the time. But, but the husband continued to minister as long as he was able to. I'm thinking that probably from the time of his diagnosis to the time of his passing, was about a year and a half, perhaps two years. It's hard to remember exactly. 
But during that period of time, he shared, he ministered to me. The level of, of his insight into God's presence and God's love in the midst of his trial and his wife's trial was so overwhelming. I wrote him back several times because I got his blog every week. And I wrote him back several times and I said, Richard, I, we are praying for you, but the ministry is coming from you to me, not me to you. And what you are doing in my heart is just absolutely, it's, it's inexpressible how you're touching my life by what you're sharing. Eventually, the disease took both of their lives within a few months of each other, but before his death, Richard reflected about a portion of scripture in Acts chapter 16. And if you're kind of a veteran of the word of God, you know Acts chapter 16. It's, it's the story of Paul and Silas. Um, they cast a demon out of a, of a slave girl who was able to, through the power of the demon, she was used by her owners to tell fortunes and stuff. And, and so they made money off of her. Well, when Paul and Silas came onto the scene, <laughs> they, they helped her out, they healed her, they cleansed her of the, of the demon, which took away the livelihood of these, of these owners, see? So instead of them being thrilled with what Paul and Silas had done, they got very, very angry, and they end up in, in the dungeon uh, of Philippian jail. And, and there they begin to sing praise songs to God in the midst of this jail. And the story goes that God released them from the jail and set them free. It was a great victory. I'm not going to go into all of that, but that's kind of the storyline if you're not familiar with Acts 16. That's what it's talking about. But he, he writes about uh, Paul and Silas being thrown into the Philippian jail. And as I said, they were eventually released from the jail as they sang these praise songs to God. And this is what Richard wrote. He said, they sang at midnight. How many of us could sing at midnight, much less in the middle of a dark, dingy, disgusting, rat-infested prison? In Acts chapter 16, Paul and Silas, Silas did just that after being arrested for cutting in on someone's livelihood by using a slave girl. Paul and Silas um, come on the scene in the name of Jesus and she is set free. They are arrested, beaten, and put in stocks. They could have looked at each other and simply stated, so this is the thanks we get for, for doing the work of the Lord? What's up with this kind of treatment anyway? We don't deserve this. No, the Bible says they sang. They considered it an honor to serve our Lord in this fashion and their attitudes were an example for all of us no matter what we are going through in this life. If we are being legitimately ridiculed for our faith in Jesus as persecuted, Jesus uh, praised the Lord and serve him all the more. If we are going through any other difficult time in our lives, you may not feel like singing in your midnight hour, but we must sing. We sing because God is in control of every situation and will control all of our tomorrows if we'll allow him to. Paul and Silas did not whine, they sang. The outcome we read about was a victory, but they didn't know that when they were singing. They didn't know when they were singing what was the outcome was going to be. So go ahead and sing. Shout it from the rooftops. Our God reigns. He reigns in the good times and the bad times. He, he, he reigns uh, in the sunlight and the darkest of nights. He reigns in your health 
or sickness. He is not limited by our finite humanness or anything we're going through. Lift your head and sing in the midnight hour, friend, for you do not know what's just around the next turn. Hallelujah. And I was so moved that a dying man could write such words. Not so much that he was dying, but he was watching his wife die as well. I, I just have to feel in my heart that there's a special reward in heaven for people like this who have this kind of, this kind of an attitude towards their God that, Lord, it doesn't matter what happens. I'm going to give you praise in the, I'm going to give you praise in the palace and I'm going to give you praise in the pit. So whether I'm in the pits or I'm in the palace, I'm going to give you praise, Lord. That's the key to your victory. The last word out of Emmanuel is God, is us, God with us, us. Listen to what God says to Jeremiah the prophet, chapter 31, verse 3. I've loved you, my people, with an everlasting love. And you could take out the two words, my people, and could insert your name in there. I love you. Put your name there with an everlasting love. A lot of people think God cares about the universe or that he cares maybe about the whole world. He's got the whole world in his hands, you know. They think that God cares about nuclear war and terrorism and he cares about the church globally around the world, but too many of us never come to grips with the fact that through Jesus, God wants to have a personal relationship with us individually, that he cares about me, he knows my name, he has the hairs of my head numbered, and he has to keep on top of that on a regular basis because <laughs> they're falling out right and left. I would think that alone would take all of his time. You know, ultimately it's great that God loves the world, but I've got to know that he loves me personally and individually. It's great that he has a prophetic plan for the ages, but I've got to know that he has a plan for me. I've got to know that I matter to God, and you've got to know that too. You've got to face tomorrow with the assurance that God not only cares about the world, but that he knows who you are. He planned for you. You are alive today because it was God's will. And he has a plan for your life. He cares deeply about your life. He wants to save you from yourself and from what the enemies put on you. He wants to put you on a new course of life that takes you into the most unbelievable fellowship with the creator of the universe, living in the blessings that only he can give your life. And that's what the Christmas message is saying. It's saying that he is Emmanuel, God with us. In fact, I think he is so personal with us that it doesn't matter or rather, I should say, it does the scripture no injustice to translate the name Emmanuel as God with me. God with me. Personally. Individually. 
Again, put your name in there. God with Bob. God, God with Fred. God with Sally. God with Susan. You see, you're not a statistic to God. You're not a mistake to God. You may have been a surprise to your parents, but you are not a mistake to God. He's a personal God. His name is Emmanuel. He loves you personally. And he would love nothing more than to be your best and closest friend. And he offers that to anyone who wants it. Anyone. You know, when the communists took over China in 1949, two missionaries were left behind. And they were arrested by the government. They were taken to a prison in far northern China where the cold Siberian winds blew down from the Soviet Union and, and filled their cells. They were given barely enough to survive, to eat, and they were not given enough to stay warm. In the coldness of their cell, they were forbidden to talk to one another. If they talked with one another, they were severely punished. And because of that, a sense of real despair began to settle on them. They began thinking about their homes, their loved ones that they would not see over the Christmas season. And as the despair began to grip them, one of the, man, one of the men was filled with faith for a moment, and he took some straw, and he began to form a word, E M. M-A-N-U-E-L. And in that instant, they realized that no matter what they went through, God was with them, with them in the cell. And as they began to realize that, the reality of the Christmas season just began to fill their hearts and the glory of God filled a communist prison cell. And these men, though their circumstances did not change, were transformed by the power of God's grace in their lives. Now I share that with you today to, to tell you this. You may be facing a very cold and hard time in your life right now. Cold Siberian winds may be blowing across your family. And you don't know what the outcome is going to be. You don't know how you're going to make it. You don't know how you're going to pay the bills. You don't know what you're going to do with the fact that you just got laid off and it's Christmas and you barely have enough to provide food or shelter. And you don't know what's going to happen with the, the doctor's report that you got last week that seems to tell you there's no hope. You don't know what to do with a marriage that seems to be falling apart. You don't know what to do with kids that are so rebellious, they tell you they hate you. And they don't want to be involved with you or your God. 
and you don't know what to do. That's why God gave us Christmas. That's why he gave us Jesus, to tell us that we can make it, not because, as Carrie said, we're going to pull ourselves up by our bootstraps, but we're going to make it because there is a God in heaven who can turn the worst situations into the greatest miracles if we'll let him, if we'll give it all to him. He'll handle it all. His name is Emmanuel, God with us. And so the New York Daily News said last week, God isn't fixing this. But I'm here to tell you that the truth of Christmas is that he will fix whatever you bring to him. Your life, your marriage, he will fix the outcome. It may not fix the way you exactly want it to, but it will fix exactly the way Jesus has determined it should be fixed if you'll give it to him. Here at Life Church, we pray that you have a blessed week. Please connect with us on Facebook, Twitter, or Instagram, or you can always go to lifechurchutah.com.